American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is Bearded Bastard number one, Tex, joined by the beautiful Bearded Bastard himself, Liam Bright. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. I'm I'm the Bearded Deuce at this point, which uh, is far less flattering than I would have hoped for. <laughs> well, it is season two, episode 19, and we know we've been bad this year, but we're trying to be better. We're doing our <laughs> absolute best. Uh, obviously, uh, we... We have a huge match coming up this week, so we had to get this out. With all the all the news going on in the world of football and for American soccer, please don't hate us for saying the dirty S word. Nonetheless, this is a huge, massive week. Um, West Ham coming off a, uh, well, weird. It's weird because they lost the match and they played poorly and they had a shot to get something out of it late. So... That tells you the type of run West Ham United have been on this year. That tells you what kind of team they have been. Um, obviously, they start the game, does not go their way. Um, they concede an own goal by a total clatter of play between Lucas Fabianski and Diop. Uh, St. Maximum gets in on goal, uh, sends it in. It was going to be a save, but Diop gets in the way tries to play it out, hits off his back heel, goes in the net. So there's mistake number one, cost West Ham a goal. West Ham have a few chances get back, and the next thing you know, on a set piece, comes in, Fabianski goes to catch it, he drops it, and gives a gift of a second goal to Newcastle United. Next thing we know, we're down two goals. But credit to our boys, Liam, they fought back, and they fought back hard, and they played well, um, ultimately get, being able to get a goal. Um, it was, uh, oh gosh, I blinked on who scored the goal. So Diop. But- so Diop scores the first one off of a set-piece delivery and a header to the to the, into the, the side corner there. It was a beautiful goal from Diop. Um, probably should have been saved, when we be honest, it was a little close to the keeper. But nonetheless, sometimes you got to get some luck in a game like that. It goes in. Um, then, um, you know, a handball gets called in the box. It was clearly, um, by the letter of the law, it's a handball. I think you and I both know it's pretty unfortunate for that player. His arm got stuck on the top of the head of Suchek hits off his arm. It is an unnatural position, but, uh, obviously they give him Jesse Lingard puts it off the woodwork and in, uh, probably one of the best place penalties I've ever seen. Um, there's no saving that West Ham get equalized and then, well, uh, I think five minutes later, uh, West Ham conceded the third goal, and that's where the game would remain, 3-2. Um, it was just a very frustrating performance for West Ham United. We've talked about it on this show. Liam, you're fully aware. I'm fully aware. This is not a team that it does not really matter where they sit in the table. They kind of have West Ham United's number, and it's it's not exciting. It's fun. It's frustrating um, because, you know, our two worst performances of the year are both against Newcastle United um, and we're down on them five two aggregate. It's just, it's a frustration. We talked about it on the show. You and I even brought it up and said that West Ham would struggle in this match. Although I did say um, that they would find something out on premier league fan zone in London. So um, I hate being right on that. I really do. <laughs> um, it's a frustration. Uh, but West Ham United um, down three two, they lose. It was a poor performance. Um, I, I have to ask you, Liam. Um, first off, what are your thoughts on the match? Um, even though we played so poorly, we did find a way back into the game. We had an opportunity to get something out of it. So, what did you think of the performance on that that gloomy Saturday? Well, I, I think the uh, the Dawson red card for me was was definitely the turning point. Like, you know, I I know that Dawson has not. Maybe he hasn't been on point as much as he did when he was beside Ogbana. But I also think that, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, I think Diop leaves a lot to be desired uh, when when covering players, especially in the box. Uh, I want to say that the, the header for the third goal, uh, I actually think it's Johnson who doesn't track his player. Uh, in the box, which is terrible because he had a beautiful goal line clearance 
just like moments before that. So, I mean, kudos to Johnson. He's another player that I think uh, is a little bit hot and cold. Uh, yeah, definitely a roller coaster uh, of a player. And I sort of feel like Diop's the same way, but with Diop, he always has one really good play and then he'll have one absolute bonehead of a mistake uh, every single match. And I, I think that... This one was perfect, right? The back heel into our own goal. And then obviously he's the one that actually scores the first one uh, for us off that header, which was similar actually to his positioning on the goal that was ruled off sides against uh, Leicester. That would have actually put us up at four. So, I mean, it's, I'm not trying to shit on Diop. I'm not trying to say like, oh, get him out of the, the first team. Like, I think there's still a place for him there. I would like to see... With Dawson out, I would love to see the return of Balbuena and Agbana because I think that they had a really good partnership earlier on in the season. Uh, and with Diop, to me, he's more of a come off the bench. Or if Declan's not back, I would even consider playing him alongside Suchek in sort of that defensive midfield role. Just because with his height, he would be really, really good to be able to press forward, to be able to get on those crosses that come in if Crestball's healthy or, you know, when Su when Sufal is sending him into the box. I think with this particular match, I was frustrated. I was I was definitely like on pins and needles when we when we came back and equalized. Definitely with a little bit of luck, but I was I wasn't as torn up, I think, as a lot of people, as uh, a lot of West Ham supporters were on on Twitter because I took a lot of positives out of this match. And because you and I had talked about this previously being a little bit of an Achilles heel for us when it comes to playing uh, Newcastle, I, I was happy that we at least were able to fight back. It wasn't just a 2-0 drubbing like we had at the first game of the season. It showed that the fight that we've seen throughout the season is still there. These players are still going to try to push for a result, regardless of who the competition is, regardless of what the scoreline is. And really, I, I can't ask for better than that. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as they're still trying to fight for that win, you know, I, I'll be happy with the performance. One, one thing about this West Ham side, and and um, I, it's, it's a delight to watch. There's a fight everywhere they go. I disagree with you on the front. I think we were the better team once we went down to 10 men. I <laughs> That's think, true. That's I think true. once we went down to 10 men, something happened. There was a click for West Ham United, and they started playing very well. And the goal that Newcastle scored wasn't because they were able to use the extra man. It was because we fell asleep on defense for a moment. Yeah. And that was a, a typical game of West Ham past, especially in the last three years, where every mistake West Ham make, the worst possible result is going to come of that mistake. So credit to Newcastle for capitalizing. Credit to them. Um, it, it chaps me that we were even put in a position to have to fight in that game. Um, you know, we were just not playing well. Uh, Craig Dawson, uh, here's the truth on Dawson. Dawson is a great guy. Um, I think he, I think the team really loves him. But as far as his talent level goes and what he brings to the table, you know, there's a reason that he's floated in and out of the prem and he's floated on lower tier sides. He doesn't bring a lot of attributes to the table. Um, and when you are going up against a team, you know, that has a pacey forward like St. Maximum, like, forgive me, I know I'm butchering his name, but I'm, I refuse to pronounce somebody's name that doesn't play for West Ham correctly. So um, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so the whole point is I, I look at that. It, it was a very professional foul on the first yellow card. The second one, that's my problem with Dawson right there. It's just reckless. It's just kind of stupid. And I don't understand. You, you know you're on a yellow. You know, yeah. li live to fight. Okay, they get a goal in that situation live to fight on, you know, yeah. Dawson, you are a very good offensive threat. You know, yeah, you may be at fault for giving up the goal, but you can come back and get one because that's the type of player you are. And that, that's what frustrates me. I have no issue with the first yellow card. I would have done it. You would have done it. Everyone would have done it because you're not going to try to concede an easy goal. But the moment you give that up, you got to play smarter than that. And, yeah. and that's a frustration. Now, ultimately, I do not believe Craig Dawson getting a red card hurt West Ham United. I do not believe that. I think we were the better team when we went down to 10 men. I think we fell asleep. They capitalized. And look, I've said this to you before. 
there are teams in the prem like Brighton, Newcastle at the bottom. They are good enough to get a goal. If you give them two additional ones, then it's going to be worse. And that that's the problem. We gave them two and they scored one on their own. We've seen this before from West Ham United, especially I think it was Brighton that yeah. um that we did the same thing. We got two own goals and then they finally scored one and they ended up uh beating us. So it's a frustration um, the way Dawson handled that situation. I wish he would have been smarter. Um, and now I'm pretty sure he's out for the next match. Correct, Liam? Like he's yeah, yeah. Because it's know. a red red card will give him a one game suspension. It's only if the if the FA came back uh, and reviewed it and thought that it was more volatile of a of a challenge, then there could be the potential for them to tack on uh, additional games. But at this time, yeah, he'll just be he'll be out for the. Uh, uh, for the Chelsea match, but we'll still have Balbuena, Diop, and Ogbonna uh, for selection. So I'm not super worried when it comes to center backs. Well, the reason I ask is because, you know, the Premier League gets so mad at Chelsea that they penalize West Ham United. So I didn't know <laughs> if we get a red card, doesn't that mean that, you know, Craig Dawson has to give up his firstborn child and sit out nine games? I mean, it's it's stuff like that that I just want to make sure that, you know, we're not getting overly penalized because, you know, VAR, it tends to uh, – they love to test out all their VIR stuff against West Ham to see if it works, and then they change the rule after they fuck it up with us. Yeah, so, pretty much. Obviously, you know we spoke about this uh, when you and I were together on uh, Premier League Fan Zone. Um, I, I'm just going to ask you this question because uh, you know I have a theory and I want to hear yours. What the hell is it about Newcastle United that makes our squad looks like shit? Because there's not. I look at their side, and outside of St. Maximin, Longstaff, and to some extent, John Joe Shelby, and I don't even want to say Longstaff, but really John Joe and St. Maximin, what do they really offer? Like, they don't offer much. You know, don't tell me Almiron or Almiron, whatever the hell his name is. He's from the MLS, guys, and he's playing at a team sitting in 17th. There's a reason. You know, Josie Altador. Couldn't cut it at Sunderland. I'm not going to say Miguel Almiron can make it at Newcastle. I mean, there's a reason. So I'm just asking you this question. What is it about Newcastle United um, that they make West Ham United look like a League Two side? I, you know, I, I was trying to... I was trying to really figure that out when I was watching during the first half. I was like, why are we struggling so much? And I, you know, I think for... To, to some degree, it was definitely the the pace of St. Maximum. I, I don't think that we really had somebody on the pitch uh, that could nullify him the way that we needed that we needed to. And I was really surprised that Moyes did not deploy Ryan Fredericks because, you know, I've touted, I've touted him before as one of the fastest players in the Prem. So why would you not utilize him and his speed to be able to shut down, say, Maximum. And because Fredericks is somebody that you could deploy on either the right or the left-hand side, this was a perfect opportunity to literally just say, hey, you're going to stick with him. And that's all I need you to do until they sub him out at the 70th minute and bring in Callum Wilson or Andy Carroll. And that would have been fine because then at that point you sub out Fredericks and you bring in somebody else. You bring in you know, either somebody with height to deal with Andy Carroll or you bring in somebody that's a grade-A douchebag to deal with Callum Wilson. I mean, <laughs> you know, like for like, right? That's pretty much the way that you have, you've you got to play that game. So I was a little surprised, and I really think that that was Newcastle's one and only game plan in that first half. And you could see as, you know, as, you know, Kasufal and Diop and to some degree Dawson, you know, as they were sort of, you know, niggling and nipping at, say, maximum, you could see that the his pace was slowing down. He was not as sharp on the ball. And that's when Newcastle was trying to make a change. And you before they actually subbed him out, that's when we got the two goals back. You know what I mean? And then once he came out and they changed the 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 setup a little bit more, you could see Al Marone being able to play with the ball at his feet, being able to to attack the space. And that's when you really started to feel again like that we were playing a man down. Because you're 100% right with what you said. Once Dawson left, we fought. Like, that's where really where the battle started to come back. And whatever Moyes said at halftime definitely invigorated this team. Because we came out of the gates guns blazing in that second half. And we needed to. We absolutely needed to. And, and 
we've talked about in the, you know, for the past several weeks, how the second half has not been our strong suit, that we have always looked, you know, uh, second to the ball the entire time on the second half. And that's why we capitulate so many goals. That's why we're shipping so many goals. And this time it was kind of the opposite. We we were lethargic in the first half. I don't think that we were we were as focused as we needed to be. And I mean, let's address the elephant in the room. The injuries were affecting us. You know, no Declan Rice, and uh, uh, Helog Bana is literally just coming back from injury. Like this was what his first game back. You know, you uh, no uh, uh, Mikel Antonio up top. You know, you look at the bench and like we've just we've got a bunch of youth and we've got two goalkeepers. We don't need two goalkeepers as backups, but we just are running out of options. We don't have a lot left. And I mean, honestly, that even worries me going into this next match. We need more of these bodies to come back if we're going to survive. I have a theory. I think the reason that we cannot compete well with Newcastle is one main reason. And it's the man bun of doom, Andy Carroll. I think (laughs) Andy Carroll has been has been a rat. Maybe that's too strong. He has definitely been insider information to Newcastle because they come out and they play us. And Andy Carroll, who spent six years at the club, I believe, for West Ham, knows all the ins and outs. And I firmly believe that that's what's going on. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's what I think. It's not a maybe in that statement, that's definitely you are definitely crazy. But it's it's not honestly, it's not a bad shout. I mean, we, we I do feel to some degree like Newcastle is just filled with kryptonite for us. You know, the fact that Andy Carroll went from Newcastle to us and then back to Newcastle. The fact that Callum Wilson is one of those players that almost always gets a goal against us. And where does he end up? Fucking Newcastle. It'd almost be the same thing if like Danny Ings ended up over there. I'd be like, of fucking course Danny Ings is part of Newcastle now. It's just, you know, I think they, they've collected those fringe players that obviously like the top, top level, the top echelon, they're not looking at those players. But like mid-table clubs, you know, traditionally mid-table clubs like us, like Crystal Palace, like Wolves, Everton, like that's kind of where those players sit. And I'm not surprised that Newcastle is the one that that gobbled them up. But credit to them, man. I mean, at the end of the day, they walked away with six points. And literally nobody outside of the top six has been able to do that to us this this season. So that's, you know, credit where credit's due. But uh, we need to figure that shit out. And next season, we need to do the double on them. Oh, I I agree. You know, uh, last year, the way we were for Chelsea last year, we pulled a double on them. Yep. Newcastle did it to us this year. There's always that one team. I remember, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson used to always say, yeah, you can beat Chelsea on a Saturday, but can you go to Stoke City on a rainy Thursday night and get the win? You know, yeah. so that that's the, the situation West Ham are in. They're going to have to find a way. And look, you know, the reality of the situation is we're all going to, we're going to admit this right now. You know, hindsight's always 2020. If we do not finish in the top four, we're going to look back to both of those Newcastle games and we're going to say that's where it didn't happen. Not the fact that, you know, we we let uh, we let uh, Arsenal come back and get a 3-3 draw on us. That's, that's irrelevant. It's the fact that you drop six points against a club that's in 17th. Yep. And that that's what's in the hold us. So you brought something up earlier, and I'm going to shift the question a little bit from our pre-production meeting. West Ham are riddled a little bit right now with injuries. It's not that we have a ton, but we have injuries to very, very key players. You know, Cresswell, um, you know, Mikel Antonio, and of course, the best midfielder, best defensive midfielder in all the world, Declan Rice. I'm going to go ahead and start saying that. Um, The greatest CDM in all the world is, is out. So it's not that we have a ton of injuries. It's that they are to arguably three players that have been instrumental and insurmountable in West Ham's success this season. So when I look at this, I'm going to ask you this. Have the injuries, or excuse me, will these injuries to these key players cost West Ham United a spot in the top four? You know, I don't think that they will. I think if we if we see anybody else go down, right? Like uh, Masuaku was holding his uh, hamstring at the end of the, I think it was at the end of the Leicester game. And then he didn't feature on this one, uh, Cresswell being out. But, you know, they're saying that he could potentially come back relatively soon. 
I think if those guys stay out as well and we have to pretty much face the rest of the the teams, even after Chelsea, with the squad that we have, I think we could still do it. I think the Chelsea match is still the biggest match out of all of those ones because we're definitely going to need those three points to be able to pull ahead of them. But I kind of feel like with the squad we had against Newcastle, we can still beat West Brom. We can still beat Brighton. Like, I don't, I don't view any of those games and go, I mean, may, maybe Brighton because they're kind of like a Newcastle. They're kind of a banana peel for us a little bit. But even with West Brom, like, yeah, I know they beat Chelsea 5-2. I think that was an anomaly game. I don't think that's indicative of what Fat Sam's been able to do over there. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I still think top four is 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 definite. I think pushing into top three will probably be a little bit more difficult. And I don't think it's because Leicester will hold that place. I actually think that Chelsea might be able to also do really well in their remaining games. Uh, I I do wonder, though, based on their performance today, or not today, was it yesterday against Brighton? Yesterday. And them drawing uh, nil-nil, I do wonder if this Super League thing is is weighing on the players a little bit, and I wonder if that will sit heavy on them finishing out this season and if anything, if it'll invigorate us as well as other teams to really put these guys to the sword, I almost expect the the rest the the rest of the greedy six to struggle in their remaining games, and I think it'll be a, a, a battle of wills as much as it is a battle on the pitch. To to speak to the injury thing first before we get into the Super League, um, I'm going to be honest. I think we can drop the Chelsea game and still make the top four. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being honest because I want everybody to listen to this. And this is my point. This is why I think, and I disagree with Liam here. This is why I firmly believe that Liverpool will be joining West Ham United inside the top four and Chelsea will fall out. Because when you look at West Ham, after the Chelsea match, when we go into May, Burnley... Everton, Brighton, West Brom, Southampton. The only semi-tough game is Everton. And I don't think Everton's as good as people think. Everton are going to present a challenge, but remember, we've already gotten them. We beat them 1-0. I firmly believe West Ham United at home against Everton will win that match. And by that point, I'm sure Cresswell's back. There's an outside shot. Declan will be there. Um, They have still not announced the severity of his injury, which makes me think... And the fact that he's sitting in the stands with no brace on, Declan is probably closer to returning than we think. So I'm really hoping that we might run the table after the Chelsea match. Now listen to this. Now this is where Liam and I disagree. If we look at Chelsea's remaining fixtures, they play West Ham, then they have to go to the Champions League semifinals against Real Madrid. (laughs) Tough game, okay? Then when they head into May... They got to play Fulham. Okay, they're going to win that. We give them that. Then they play their second leg against Real Madrid. This is why they're not going to make it, Liam. This is how they end the season. The last four games for Chelsea, Man City away. Arsenal at home. Leicester at home. Villa away. That's their last four games. I just do not believe that they will find a way to... I I just don't believe they're going to be good enough to do it. I just don't think they will. And when you go and you look at the table and you look at Liverpool's remaining fixtures, Liverpool... Now, look, they drew against Leeds, so maybe you have some credibility here on the fact that they still haven't figured anything out. But they play Newcastle at home this weekend. Then they have... United away, listen to their last four games. Okay, so the United game, they probably drop or get a point out of. You know, let's be honest. Then they play Southampton, West Brom, Burnley, and Crystal Palace. (laughs) So when you look at their games that they have remaining, they only really have one, and that's Newcastle. Kind of like us, we just have Chelsea. So I firmly believe that they will get in there, and I think – that even if Chelsea are getting draws, Liverpool's just going to be gaining points on them. Yeah. And we're going to be gaining points on them. So I, I look at this situation and I think West Ham are, are going to be there. 
But I will say this on the injury front. We're going to have to get one of those three main guys back. Cress yeah. has to return, Antonio has to return, or Declan. We don't need all three. We don't need two. We get one back, we're fine. Because if you look at those guys, Deck breaks up all the play. Cress has been making plays for us all year, and there is nobody in the prim who can match up with the physicality of Mikel Antonio. Right. So that's the thing. Now, you mentioned something. We're going to transition here, but you mentioned something that we have to talk about. And I think every soccer supporter or football supporter, excuse me, in the world heard about the greedy six from the prim in addition with eight other clubs from around the world announced the formation of a closed keyword closed league going to be called the super league. Now what that means for you that don't know that are, you know, maybe just getting into um, premier premiership football A closed league means you cannot get relegated. That means that if you finish in dead last in the so-called Super League, you will be there again next year. And if you're a team like Leicester City or, I don't know, what's another team in the top four? West Ham United that was not invited to that league and you win the Premier League, there's no guarantee you will get an invitation to play in the Super League the next year. And let's say you finish in fourth in the Super League, they can move you right out even though you finished fourth. You get one season in it. It was almost like this, Liam. Hey, we're going to create the Super League with the most popular clubs in the world. Um, Credit to the German clubs that said, fuck off. And credit to, I can't believe I'm saying this, credit to the French club, PSG, that said, (laughs) no. I mean, who would have thunk it? The French that made a great decision. Way to go, you know. I talk too much mess on the French, no more. All right. (laughs) But you look at this, and it was basically saying, we are better than you. It would have killed the domestic league and the Premier League uh, because there would have been no promotion into a Champions League. It would have been over. This closed league would have ruined it. That means if this would have happened, this match coming up on Saturday against Chelsea would have meant nothing for them and nothing for us. So I, I have to ask you, this Super League, what were your thoughts when it dropped and you heard it? What was your initial reaction, Liam? Well, I was I was pissed at first, to be honest with you, because it was very pretentious of these clubs, one, to think that this was going to be any any sort of solution in the way that they were touting it to to bring better football to the fans and more financial security to all of football, which it made absolutely no sense because this was obviously a money grab specifically for these teams that kept touting, oh, well, you know, uh, we're all suffering, you know, COVID hurt all the teams, you know, uh, Real Madrid's $1 billion in debt, blah, 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 right? But it's interesting because you go, well, okay, but all the clubs are suffering. Every club is is not making gate money right now because there's no fans in the stands. Everybody's suffering on merchandise. I'm sure you get the emails from West Ham just like I do that says, look, you know, away shirts, 25 pounds, free domestic shipping in the UK. Like they're trying everything they can to move merchandise because it's the only way that they're they're basically making money at this point other than the TV revenue. That's That's all they've got to really try to keep these clubs afloat. And you look at a club like West Ham that, yeah, we're, we're probably not doing as well as we would hope, but we also didn't spend a shit ton of money. Then you look at somebody like Man City, who their wage bill is 100 million pounds heavier than the New York Yankees. That's insane amount of money. It's no wonder you've got teams like that that are that are claiming, you know, uh, that they're broke because they've overspent and they've continuously overspent because they need to keep themselves in those champion league spots. Now let's look at the table right now, man city, man United, number one, number two, and then Leicester and West Ham, Leicester and West Ham were not invited to the super league. And as it, as it had stood until, you know, Chelsea was able to leapfrog us and bump us into fifth. That meant that Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Tottenham, none of which were going to make champions league. So uh, Lee uh, from American Hammers uh, TV 
uh, he did a he did an amazing thread on Twitter where he really broke down the financial aspect of this. Uh, so I'm, I know I'm not going to do it justice. So if you go onto my uh, Twitter, you can actually see that I reposted it. But he kind of breaks down the the fact that when you look at a business, a business needs to keep themselves in the black, right? When they go into the red and they're not they're not being able to show revenue and show profits year over year. Uh, that's where any any business, regardless of whether it's football or any other any other sport or any other business in the world, uh, they will struggle. And especially when you have shareholders that you have to report to and board members. So when you get that revenue from Champions League, that get, that puts you at a different financial bracket. That then when you don't make that the following year, you are already operating in the red because now you are not being able to count on that income. Those clubs wanted this Super League so they could con- continuously count on that income. And you, you and I had a discussion about the fact that with J.P. Morgan backing this Super League, there was now going to be the potential for, what was it, $350 million for each one of these clubs? That Now that is additional capital that they're going to have to spend. It was something like $4.5 or $3.5 billion to be spread out over the quote-unquote mainstay clubs that would never be relegated out. So I don't know what that works out to. 350 sounds about right, but it was somewhere in the ballpark of 4.5 to $3.5 billion spread out over those clubs. And this, and this is, these are already clubs that typically have dominated the top ends of the, of their leagues, right? You look at Real Madrid and Barcelona over in, uh, in the uh, La Liga. And then over in the Italian league, you've got uh, Juventus, uh, AC Milan and Internazionale. So you, these are already clubs that typically don't, they don't struggle. These are not teams that typically sit at the bottom of the table and have to face relegation. So they can continuously sit there at the top of the league and spend these money, all this money on players, and there's no ramifications. And now they wanted to start a league where relegation wasn't even a threat anymore. That the original 12, they were going to open it up to another three teams that could be quote-unquote founding members, and then there was going to be five teams that would rotate every year based on merit on how they performed within their own leagues. There was nothing about this that didn't scream absolute money grab. This was a money and power grab. And unfortunately, it was led by clubs that had American ownership. And this is these are American owners that are used to closed systems a la MLB, a la NFL, where the same teams play every single year and nothing changes. That works in the American model because we're used to it. That absolutely does not fly in the European leagues or any of the uh, international leagues because they are all founded on the fact that, the, or the, sorry, the concept that you could start at the absolute bottom of the English tier in, in football and you could potentially work your way up to the premiership. That That is the heart and soul of why why this, this um, pyramid has worked for as long as it has. And these American owners were literally going in there and they were going to throw away 150 years of English football. It was fucking ridiculous. It had me so heated. But I know for you, you were distraught when I talked to you on the phone the other night. Like I, I was, I didn't know whether I needed to drive over and give you a hug or just fucking buy you a bottle of whiskey. Like you seemed the saddest I'd seen you almost ever. Liam, I, I was almost done with, um, I was almost done with football. And as somebody that's a diehard West Ham fan, I mean, I was all, I'm always going to support West Ham, but the passion and love that I put into uh, the club and also um, the organization, the Fresno Irons, who I run with a handful of other people. Um, this is it was it was devastating to hear because. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something about me. One of the worst things that I hear saying, and I hear it all the time, is that this this is the line that I keep hearing, and I want to make it very clear that I cannot stand this. Well, it's a business. It's a business. Shut the hell up. No, it's not. This was never started as a business. Sports were meant to be played to develop competition, and that's what it's about. It's about people being able to witness great athletes participate in a sport. And yes, people paid money for one because you want your club, you want your bragging rights, you want to be the best, but it was never meant to be a business. So the idea that you buy this club and that you have a right to do whatever you want with this, that's where it's wrong. The club belongs to the fans. That's the only reason it's there. I don't give a shit if the fan doesn't have the money to pay that player's wage. I don't care. What I care about is that you understand that when you see those cross 
crossed irons and you see that claret and you see that blue, <clears throat> that is a representation of a culture, of a section of a city, of an idea, of a spirit, of a love and a passion for something. That's what it is. That's who owns the club. So I cannot stand it when people give the out and say, oh, well, it's a business. No, shut up. It's not a business. You may treat it like one, but that was never the intent. It was never the intent. Look at her relationship. A girl is never an object, Liam. She never is. She's more than that. If you get into a relationship because somebody looks a certain way that you want, the reality of the situation is that relationship's never going to prosper because you're not looking at her as a human being. You're not looking at her as a potential partner. You're looking at her as an object. When you look at a club, this is not an object. This is not just a club. This is something way deeper. And I'm an American fan. I was not born in East London. I did not have the privilege to see anybody play of note until I made a decision back in 2010 to start rooting for West Ham United. And at this point now, I put my fandom up against anybody. Doesn't mean I'm going to win the argument, but I'm telling you, and I cannot stand this. This was never a business, never intended to be one. So when you come into the club and you come into English football that has something that's called tradition and spirit and love, and you try to change that into something that it was never intended to be, you will get the backlash of the fans. And when people come to their senses, and I can't believe I'm saying this, kudos to you, Chelsea Football Club. They had to be the first. They were the ones that stepped away, followed by Manchester City. Props to Jurgen Klopp, props to Chelsea Football Club, and props to Pep Guardiola. All of those people said things that mattered, and everybody get it. Pep said it simply. Well, if there's... If there's no promotion or relegation, then there's no competition. And he was 100% right. So thank you for letting me rant, Liam. But yeah, the dude. Truth, the truth is, this was never meant to be a business. I I root for two teams in my life harder than everybody. I root for the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL, and I root for West Ham United in the English Premier League. And I'm telling you right now, at no point do I ever think that I want my team to make money. I only think about I want my team to be successful, and that is my point. Yep. And it, it, it's honestly like fucking hats off to you, man. Like I, I, it was a super passionate rant, and I think – I think anybody listening to this show feels exactly the same way that you do. I think that the, the West Ham faithful have absolutely rallied that that these clubs and and we, we're not blaming the fans, like you know, unless you're a fan that backed the Super League, in which case you're a dipshit. But for like by and large, the fans like they spoke up and they said they they voiced their displeasure and you've seen videos right from the 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 one of the Liverpool owners apologizing right uh same thing with with Arsenal they their letter of or their statement was you know we apologize uh we misread uh what what we thought was a good idea and obviously the fans disagreed and you know at the end of the day football is for the fans you know like kudos to the clubs for stepping down and being done with the 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 Super League like I'm not I'm not going to bash them for walking away from it but I will continue to shit on them for ever thinking it was a good idea to begin with. I can't forgive the leaderships at these other clubs and like keep in mind we're West Ham United. We have some pretty fucking shitty board members ourselves. Our owners are absolute trash. They are they are garbage can on fire. But these clubs have showed that our ownership group is only the seventh worst ownership in the premiership because these other six clubs absolutely have the worst. And and if anything, Manchester United, I get it. You've got a long history. Liverpool, you probably you don't really have the trophies to back it. I mean, it took you 30 years to win the league again. I mean, that that's not really super impressive, but you, you know, you you get good results, you stay at the top of the table. I can appreciate that. Man City, you had an influx of money after, you know, what, 2012? And then you started really being a presence. Chelsea, let's say maybe after 2008, more money became a presence. Arsenal, you're a fucking joke. You haven't been relevant since 2006. Where do you get it in your right mind that you deserve to be in something considered a Super League? And I'm not even going to fucking address Spurs. Fuck Spurs. And that's not even just as a West Ham fan. You are a joke of a club. 
and fucking nobody, no, there has not been a single broadcaster that has taken you seriously. Everybody has literally laughed you out of that conversation. And I guarantee you, you were the last ones to, in the Premier League to put in your resignation from the Super League because you were still hoping that was going to be your meal ticket to try to keep you in the quote-unquote upper echelons of English football. Fuck you. Fuck you all the way to the cleaners. You have a shit. And your protest was garbage. I have more people in my fucking family than you had standing outside of your shite heart lane stadium fucking protesting. Fuck you all the way off. Liam, I, 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 uh, I, I'm not going to say anymore because that was beautifully stated. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so obviously we had strong emotions on, on what happened there, but I'm going to ask you this. So what, what's the aftermath of this super league thing? Like, um, what's the aftermath and, and what's going to end up happening? I know you kind of hinted at it earlier. You know, we're not going to forget who these, these greedy six are. We're not. Um, so what's the aftermath of like, well, how do you think it plays out from this point forward now that the super league has officially, or at least from the premier league side, um, all six clubs have withdrawn. I think it's, it's going to be interesting, right? Because I feel like there, there has definitely been a camaraderie between what I'm referring to as the faithful 14, right? The, the other 14 clubs in the, in the premier league. And I include Sheffield, even though they've technically been relegated after their recent loss to wolves. Um, but there is a there is a sense of uh, of brotherhood between the rest of these clubs. I mean, for fuck's sake, we were cheering on Leeds when they played Liverpool the other day, right? I think we were we were all Brighton the other day when they played Chelsea. I mean, these and it's not just because we wanted Chelsea to drop the points. It's because we legitimately want to see these other teams prove that the the so called top six or greedy six are are not deserving. Leeds, Leeds came out in their match against Liverpool wearing shirts that said Champions League, earn it. And I think that resonates with, with all the fans across the board, when it, with not just even just the faithful 14, but the other fans, because they also feel like, hey, we should earn our place in the Champions League. And I'm not saying UEFA and FIFA aren't to blame for creating some of this by being corrupt organizations that haven't always done what's best for, for world football. But what these teams did... You know, and I, I, we're shitting mostly on the Premier League because neither you or I are really, you know, avid followers of of the other leagues of La Liga or Serie A. So that's why we're we're particularly uh, pissed off at, at these clubs. But I, I honestly, I think from here, there's got to be sanctions. There's got to be some sort of punishment to to show one that these teams were in the wrong, and two to dissuade them from ever trying to do this again because I really can't see any other team in the Premier League trying to pull this stunt because if it had been us Everton uh Leeds Aston Villa Wolves and Leicester we would be fucking booted from the Premier League I mean think about the fines that we got uh when it came to us signing Tevez we we had what it was like a 5.5 million pound fine and then Sheffield sued us for another 30 million on top of that I mean I know we we uh like the final sum was disclosed behind closed doors or whatever but like we we've been fined right we've seen other teams that when they went into administration that they they had points deducted from them and that's not the fans fault that's the ownership group but you're penalizing the team and the fans for something the owners had done and now people are saying oh well you can't do that to those those six clubs because now you're only just penalizing the players and the and the fans Fuck you. You had no problem doing that in years past. But just because these these teams pretend like they have clout, now you're going to try to play nice? Fuck that noise. Absolutely. You give them you give them point deductions. You find the owners because you have to make sure the owners feel it in their pocketbooks. And I would say those teams should be banned from international play for the for the next year at least. So none of those teams should have Champions League spots going into next year. None of them. Not a single fucking one. What about you? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I understand your punishment. I'm going to tell you what I think the punishment should be, and I'm going to tell you what I think is actually going to happen. So first off, I want to say this. What is the aftermath? Well, the most troubling thing for these six clubs is the aftermath is what they did to their own fan base. And that that amongst itself, there's going to be – that's going to take a lot of re, uh, repair. It's going to yeah. take a lot of repair. Um I don't know exactly how that's going to go. I think if you wear Chelsea blue, I think I don't think you're going to jump ship and go to another club. 
but I think it's going to be in the back of your mind. And it's kind of like understanding um, it's dating somebody that you know cheated on you because they thought they could find somebody better. You're always going to be thinking in the back of your head from this moment forward, well, do they they respect me enough to do what's right by the fans? Because this was, you've, you said it earlier, this was not a move that was done for supporters. It was done for a check. And that's why it was done. And we all know that, you know, money talks louder than pretty much anything else. So, of course, they were going to at least sign up for it. And then they back out when they realize what they're actually giving up because the reality was it was ugly. So the aftermath, you know, the the worst punishment of all for them is going to be what they did to their own fans, like their own supporters. That's the worst thing they've done. Um, in this whole situation, we all know who to blame. It's the six owners that signed up for this in the premier league, um, 14 overall, um, excuse me, uh, six, wow. uh, 12, 12 overall with possibly three more. Those are the people that we're going to blame. Okay. Yeah. We all know that we don't need to dance around that. What the punishment should be. And I'm going to say something that I firmly believe they should all be forced to sell their stakes inside the club. Yeah, and, nice. and uh, uh, cause you got to get them out. It's not about punishing. Look, Jurgen Klopp, who I cannot stand. He is right though. It was not the player's fault. It's not the coat, the manager's fault. These are decisions made well above everybody there. So I don't believe you relegate or deduct them points. I don't believe you do that unless you can prove that the players and the manager knew about this, which I don't think any of them did. But you force the ownership groups out and you and you say, if you're English, you say, we want English owners yeah. that understand the game. I'm not saying you can do that. I don't know the legal ramifications, but it would suck for a team like Man City. Right. Because Sheikh Mansour has been brilliant, but you put your name on that line. It's kind of like, and I'm in, in no way, shape, or form am I am I trying to to say that it's on this level, but it's kind of like in a war crime situation, if you wore the uniform of the side that lost, you're going to be punished. Whether all you did was stand guard at a gate or whether you were the one pulling a trigger. Yeah. And so right there. All six of these owners, to me, they're done. They're out. And that's it. And the Premier League steps in. That is the most That is the most fair way to do it because I do believe that you don't relegate the clubs. Now, look, you can send a message and you can do that, but you and I both know it's way more fun to beat Man United away than to beat Norwich away. Yeah, Okay. And so I don't think that a club like Manchester United, that's arguably the most popular football club in the world, you know, I mean, they go back and forth with Real Madrid. So I feel I can confidently say that. I don't want to blame the players on the pitch or Ole Gunnar Solsard. I don't want to, God, I cannot say anybody's crazy name, but I don't want to blame those guys. I want to blame Woodward. I want to blame the ownership group of Manchester United and I want them to pay the ultimate price. You're no longer involved. Yeah. That you is know, the stiffest penalty. You know, it's funny. Somebody on Twitter had suggested that you erase all six of those clubs points and then they have to also that drops them immediately to the bottom of the league. And then whatever points they earn from now till the end of the season, that's their point total. So you let those six battle it out, and three of them more than likely are going to get relegated, at least two, because let's keep in mind, Sheffield United only had like 14 points. So theoretically, all six of those teams could probably score more than 14 points in the last, what, seven games, six games. Uh, I, I actually like that. I think that's that that's kind of like a battle royale. Which would be kind of fun. And hey, these these guys wanted a little private tournament, right? They wanted they wanted to feel like they were fucking special. So no no better way than make you feel feel the heat of competition, uh, you know, other than when you're trying to battle to to stave off relegation. But I'm with you. I mean, it's you and I. We kind of talked about that, right? Like in the five five nine FC here locally, 
most of the other supporter groups are for those larger clubs. And we love being able to banter and shit talk those guys. And I mean, we have what? One person that's a Wolves fan? Like, what are yeah, we going to do? We banter a, that kid to death? We have a supporter group of one, the <laughs> Fresno Wolves. You can find him on Twitter at Fresno Wolves. Um, he hasn't showed up to a game in a while, so I don't know if he's still active, but we do have <laughs> one fan. And um, when, when asked, I'm going to call him out here. When asked, why he's a Wolves fan, he goes, well, I didn't want to choose somebody that everybody else already liked. <laughs> so, uh, a good congratul- reason. Congratulations, Wolves. That's how you got your fan. <laughs> right. But, but I think like that that's so much to be said, right? And it's not like all these supporter groups are suddenly to go, oh, okay, well, I guess now we're West Ham fans, right? They're, they're going to either continue to support their club or they're going to have to start from scratch with a different team that, you know, probably typically remains in the Premier League. So we'd probably get a bigger Leicester fan group, right? Or we get a bigger Villa or Palace or maybe Wolves, right? Like these other teams that are kind of those mid-table mid that now, if those six teams had been had, had left, we would be, yeah, we would be the teams that would kind of sit up there at the top. So I don't know, man. It's I'm, I'm glad the Super League is dead and I'm glad it died less than... 72 hours after it was created but i mean what a fucking uprising that that was that was a that was a interesting couple of days yep and uh west ham have an opportunity to really stick it to one of these uh super league teams this weekend it's a massive massive match for west ham united and before we go into our match preview i I have one question i got to ask and i i really want to know this this game on the horizon is this the biggest game in West Ham United history? Is this the most important game West Ham United are have ever played? Like, I'm I'm curious. No, I I mean I think I, I think we've probably had plenty of other matches. I mean, you could look at like FA Cup finals, and you could say that those matches were were more important. I mean, look at the the 1966 World Cup. That was probably West Ham's most important match of all time. So, um, but like for me, uh, in my tenure of of watching West Ham, and I've been watching him since 1999, um, I, I'd probably say the Great Escape. You know what I mean? Like, like for us to be just that that down to the wire for what started out as a really good season, and then just to get down to that last match where you know we're playing Man United. And we're able to finish, I think it was what, like 15th on a 1-0 victory. Like, that's huge. Like, that's a huge, I mean, we've seen people repost the the um, the Tevez goal, right? Like, I think this is this is huge for us to be able to look at that, those moments in history and say, like, like, hey, this, this, this was monumentous. This was what staved off relegation for, for at least another year, right? For at least a little bit longer. Um but yeah, I, I I think that this one maybe for this season might be one of the 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 most important matches. But I say that now only because we have um only because we still have some games left in the season that regardless of this outcome, we could get down to that. What's the last match? Is it is it Southampton? Southampton. Is the last match of the that match may be the decider, right? Of whether or not we finish like you know fifth, fourth, or third. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it's maybe too preemptive to say that this is the most important, uh, match of all time, or even the most important match of the season, but it does have gravitas. What about for you, man? I know that you, uh, you love the Chelsea boys. Oh man. Don't you, don't you know it? Don't you shut your dirty mouth. Liam. I do not <laughs> love them. Uh, I, this is the biggest match in West Ham history. And I'm going to tell you why. No offense to the FA cup. You're talking to an American here and shit on me all you want. I will take it. Um, FA cups are, are, I know that there's magic there and I get it, but from my perspective, where I'm sitting, what West Ham stand to gain in this game is far greater than the FA cup can give us. Okay. The FA cup is a, is a great trophy. There's history. You're basically saying you're the best football club in England because every club is in it. And I, I know that's absolutely brilliant. And plus, you know, you can see, you know, Ted's pub could end up playing Arsenal in a game with a 300 pound goalkeeper, like we saw, uh, you know, a few years ago, but I just want to make this very clear. West Ham United have never been in the champions league with a win on Saturday. They are in the driver's seat the rest of the season and they control their destiny. This match is massive and it is massive because West Ham United, when we listen, 
Listen, when we went into this new stadium, this is what we were promised. What's happening right now, this is what we were promised. They, the, This ownership group right now can make good on their promise, even though it's a couple years too late. And we understand that. should happen two years ago. But we can make good on the promise right now, and we can bring Champions League football to the London Stadium. So I don't care what anybody says. What West Ham have to gain in this game and the driver's seat that they can sit in, the Champions League is going to change this club for forever. Yeah. And this is something that I don't think anybody can overlook. It is a massive, massive match for West Ham United. And look, the world doesn't know who we are. We know who we are. People have heard the name because of a movie, but they don't know who West Ham United are. This is a chance for us to show them. Because all the all the media coverage, Liam, is about Christian Pulisic and Chelsea. Go take on. Can they make the top four? They play West Ham this Saturday. That's what it is. <laughs> like, and so like that's the point. We have to be the team to decide how the world's going to view us, not how the world wants to view us. We change that on Saturday when we walk out there on that pitch in the London Stadium in our claret and blue uniform, and we take it to Chelsea. It is a massive. Massive game. So now that we have our match preview, here we go. We all know there's not much we need to say. West Ham, are, are they have injuries in key situations. There's an outside shot. Cresswell could play in this game. It doesn't look good. Um, haven't heard any news on Declan Rice, which means he's probably out this game. Mikel Antonio, again, was training this week. So that doesn't mean he's going to play. We've seen this song and dance before, but nonetheless, he's there. Arthur Masuaku. All front on, uh, you know, it's quiet on the northern front with him, so it's probably not likely to play. But he may be there, he may not, who knows. Obviously, all hands on deck that are available need to be ready for this match for West Ham United. That means David Moyes. Don't you dare put two goalkeepers on the bench. We're going to need everybody we can. So looking at this situation, we know what it is. What is your score prediction and your goal scores for this game? I. Uh- so after watching uh, some of the highlights of the the Chelsea Brighton match, I actually think that Chelsea looks a little listless. I don't think this is the Chelsea that we played earlier in the league. I don't think, for whatever reason, that they've been able to maintain uh, sort of that focus, that fire that maybe they had uh, earlier. I, I you know just think of a, what a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, where they got just absolutely decimated by West Brom. And I get it, Chelsea went down a man. But fuck, man, we went down a man, and we didn't lose 5-2 to uh, to relegation fodder. I mean, we lost 3-2 to relegation fodder, but not fucking 5-2. So, I mean, it's it, for me, it, it's, it's got to be down to who the starting 11 ends up, ends up being. Like, that's what's going to dictate how we do in this match. So, for me, obviously, always Fabianski in goal. I'm actually going to go with a back three because I'm assuming that Cresswell's going to be out, and I'm going to do Balbuena, Ogbana, and Diop. I'm going to play Sufal and Ben Rama as wingbacks. And I know that seems a little bit weird because Ben Rama not, doesn't always play the best uh, defensively, but I've got a plan for that. So you've got Mark Noble and Thomas Suchek as the double pivot, as always. Noble likes to sit deeper. He's been playing almost as though he's an additional center back because he'll drop pretty far back to be able to collect the ball and allow us to kind of move everybody forward. And we're going to need that because we're going to have Fornals, Bowen, and Lingard as sort of that front three, that power three that we're going to need really to help pin back Chelsea and play through the lines because ultimately that's what we need. We need we need Lingard to be able to collect the ball in the attacking half because when he has to pick it up from our own 18 and run all that distance, that's where we're going to end up losing Jesse. That's where he's going to get injured. That's where Bowen is going to get injured. That's where you're going to run for Nals ragged, and he's not going to be as sharp as we need him to be uh, in that final third, because think about how many times we've seen Fornells put the ball over the bar, put it, put it wide, put it directly at the keeper. But we saw him recently find the back of the net. That's the Fornells that we need. We need the Fornells that is sharp, that is operating off of Bowen, off of Lingard, the same way that we know Mikel Antonio can do. They can read each other. They can flow. We need that in our attacking three. And for God's sake, we need Suchek to get another fucking goal. I feel like he's had a little bit of a dry spell. So for me, I think this is where he breaks his deadlock. Um, I actually have us winning this one pretty profoundly. I think it's going to be 3-1. 
I don't think that we're as strong in the back as we need to be. I do think we still concede a goal, probably to Christian Pulisic, because why the fuck not? Uh, but I actually think that Suchek gets a goal. Lingard, Lingard will absolutely get his customary goal. Uh, and I think Bowen's actually still a man on fire. I think that he gets the third one. Your starting 11 is brilliant, and it was the same formation I went with. I have two changes. Um, I do not think Benarama plays out on the left. I think it will be Ben Johnson. I think Ben Johnson, I think you have to be sure on the defense, and that's the David Moyes um, customary tactic is to, to sure up the defense before you go forward. Um, I agree with everything else you said. The one change I have, and you know it's part of my heart, he loves a London derby. I think Fornell sits on the bench and comes in late, and I think Lanzini gets the start in behind Bowen and Lingard. And I, 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 I know it's wrong, but my heart's <laughs> with the player, and I, I, I just love Lanzini. What he does in these games, he, he's always found a, he's got a knack for goal against Chelsea. Um, so I firmly believe he can do it. I would love to see him get that start. I know that's a crazy shout, but. You know, I'm feeling romanticized on this situation, so I think he's going to get it. Um, I think it's a workmanlike performance. I think West Ham come out and prove their point. I think the sure up the back. I think it's a 2-0 victory, West Ham United. Um, I think Lingard gets one and Bowen gets one. Uh, that's that's what I think. Who's your man of the match? Uh, for me, it's going to be Jesse Lingard. Uh, I think that we saw flashes of his return to form uh, on this last week. And not, that's not saying that he's really ever had a dip, uh, but I think he kind of let his, emo his emotions run ragged in some of the matches prior to that. Uh, and I, I think in Newcastle, I think he buckled down. He really, uh, you know, he really stayed focused. Uh, you know, just his finish on that penalty was head and shoulders above the one that got saved that then he luckily got to, to do the tap-in on. So um, I think that Jesse actually walks out with the man of the match. If not him, it's going to be uh, Vladimir Sufal because he's been a monster at that at that right-back position. And it, for me, he was my man of the match in the Newcastle game. My man of the match is going to go to the captain himself, Mark Noble. I think he is going to turn back the clock in this game. I think he's going to put in one hell of a shift. He's going to break up play. Um, he's going to be listening to Declan Rice's advice all training week. Um, and I, I just think I think Mark Noble is going to be the reason West Ham win. They're going to fight with his grit. Um, even when you make a mistake and your name's Mark Noble, you find a way to go make up for it. I think that mentality will run true. Quick question for you. If we get a penalty in the match, who takes it, Lingard or Noble? Uh, it's without question Mark Noble. Fuck yeah, it's Mark Noble. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mark Noble is the best penalty taker in the Prem. So yes. he yep. absolutely is taking it. Um, but that that's what I would like to see. Is I would I would like to see uh, Mark Noble get it. Obviously, I'm I'm feeling very romantic. If you can't tell, I want Lanzini out there. I want Noble to get man of the match. I want a two nil victory. Uh, you yeah. want Andy Carroll on loan right now is what you want. Fuck, why, man. <laughs> why not? Why not? Man bun of doom. Bring him back. So, uh, obviously, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show as we wrap up here. It's time for our yellow and red cards. Liam, hit me with your yellow. Okay, it's going to be the sky is falling on Twitter. So, there were a lot of West Ham fans, like I mentioned earlier, that were just absolutely losing their shit during the Newcastle game. Trust me. We have had a fantastic season. These guys have put in a, a, a workman shift every single match. They're allowed to make some mistakes from time to time. And this match was just one of those mistakes. Give the lads some credit. We pick our boots up and we go back at it on Saturday. How about you? Uh, yellow match strictly goes to the pundits in the coverage of West Ham United. Um, I don't know how it's going over there uh, across the pond, but here in the States, it's ridiculous. Um it's Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea playing West Ham. And I'm getting sick of it. I, I, This team has earned the respect. Let's start talking about them like we're one of the big boys this year because we are. And remember, we are above, or we were above, Chelsea. We're level on points. It's only goal differential. So don't tell me that we, don't get, we shouldn't get as much coverage. And Jesse Lingard, I mean, that's the guy that everybody wants to point at. Please point the camera at him. I'm fine with that. Give my club the attention we deserve, please. Hit me with your red card. All right, so for red card for me, uh, I mean, this is, this one's kind of easy, right? The fucking Super League. Bunch of god-awful douchebags. I'm just so glad that it fell the fuck apart. I just wish that there was, there was more of a hammer coming down on them to really make them feel 
uh, absolutely ridiculous for the decisions that they that they made trying to do a breakaway league. Uh, uh, my only hope is that the FA, the Premier League, they come back with any any sort of slap on the wrist. As long as it's not just we go quietly into the night. How about for you, bud? Oh, it's very easy. You know, um, the red card is kind of hard this week, but of course it goes to David fucking Moyes. It's always going to go to him. And if you watch the show or you listen to the show, obviously you can't watch it. I do this every week because the karma is good. So David Moyes gets my red card for not having the boys ready to play Newcastle and those damn Jordies up there. Come on, man. All they do is go to the bar and get drunk. Come on. We've got to play better against that kind of team. Come on, David Moyes. Uh, so that's my red card. Uh, <laughs> I'm, if you if you can't tell, they're so shitty. Like I'm finding, it's hard to find a reason to give David a red card. Honestly, David, you're doing a great job, but I got to give you the red card because the karma and the juju's got to got to keep it going. Got to keep it going. Even though we lost, we still played surprisingly bad and good at the same time. So uh, that is my red card. Um, obviously, uh, this is something. It's a PSA time here. For uh, the Bearded Bastards of American Hammers Radio, just want to let you know that if you ever find yourself in a depressed state, need somebody to talk to, thinking about making a decision that obviously you'll never you will never live to regret, um, please make sure that you give a call to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. And please know if you listen to the show, we're your friend. Reach out to us. You can reach us out on Twitter at, at A-H-R-W-H-U, or you can read us out at all social medias at A, excuse me, at Fresno Irons. Uh, we are here to listen to you. We're here to talk to you. I mean, just remember, man, there's always a brighter day, and whatever it is, you can get through this, and we are here for you, and we love you, and West Ham United is always going to be the team. Even if you don't like West Ham, just message us to talk shit. That'll get your mind off whatever's going, and you might even make a new friend, probably with Liam, not me, but um, nonetheless, that'd be pretty good. Liam, tell them how to do it across the pond. Sure. So if you're overseas, feel free to reach out to Samaritans at 116-123. And then same thing. You can always reach out to us on Twitter uh, and Instagram. As always, it's near and dear to the Fresno Irons uh, hearts. Uh, God rest your soul, Steve Echeverry, Godfather forever. Um, If you find yourself in Fresno, California on uh, this Saturday, April 24th. why would you not? Yeah, I mean, why (laughs) would you not be here? On April 24th, and you look at the clock, and it says, you know, 9.22 a.m., why don't you find yourself on the way down to Full Circle Brewing Company, our new slash old home. Uh, Their new facility is finally open. We're having our very first match there this Saturday at 9.30 a.m. We're inviting the Central Valley Blues to come watch with us. I know that's strange that we Americans invite the other supporter group in, but we're going to have a good old time. We're going to sing some songs, and we're going to kick a little Chelsea ass. So hopefully you can make it out. Massive, massive match. And remember, as always, guys, this is not a business. This is a club. And I want to make that very clue. Uh, very clear. Uh, for Tim and uh, Lee, <laughs> oh for Tim God. and Lee, <laughs> for Tim and Lee, as always, thank you for providing us this platform of the American Hammers Network. This is American Hammers Radio, and for Liam, I am Tex. This is the Bearded Bastards of American Hammers Radio, and as always, come, come on, on, you, on irons. you irons.